Welcome to Global Dispatches. I am your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this podcast, we discuss topical global issues and we go deep with foreign policy thought leaders and celebrities who discuss their life and career. President Obama is visiting Kenya. This is his first trip to his father's country of birth since becoming president, and people in Kenya are certainly treating it like a homecoming. Here with me to discuss the symbolic and political relevance of this historic trip is Wycliffe Muga, the weekend editor of the Star newspaper in Kenya. Wycliffe and I have a rather lively conversation about what this trip means to ordinary Kenyans, what impact it might have on the presidency of Uhuru Kenyatta, who recently had war crimes charges against him dropped by the International Criminal Court, and why Obama may disappoint some distant relatives from his father's family village. This is both a great curtain raiser to his trip and I think does a very good job of putting Obama's visit to Kenya in its proper context. I think you'll love this conversation. I really enjoy speaking with Wycliffe. I've interviewed him before and really appreciate his perspective and his take on Kenyan politics and world affairs. And he tells some pretty great stories in this episode. So here it is, my conversation with Wycliffe Muga, weekend editor of the Star newspaper in Kenya. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. The U.S. Embassy has been extremely secretive or cautious about it so far. Uh, The little we know is that he will most likely arrive Friday evening, that he will attend to the Global Entrepreneurship Conference for most of uh, Saturday, but he'll also have a meeting with our president, and I believe he'll have a meeting with the opposition leaders as well, and that he will go to one of the local universities to open a leadership center, and finally, that before he leaves, he will address a group of Kenyans uh, I, I got an invitation myself. Initially, I was very flattered. I, real, I was told there were 5,000 such invitations. That's a little less flattering. <laughs> well, no, you're one of <laughs> 5,000 very important people in Nairobi. <laughs> well, I'm sure the other 4,999 are more important than I am. So oh, in any case, no, no one knows for sure, probably for security reasons. Uh, and we keep hearing... The following roads will be blocked to the public. You can go if you're on foot, and even then, U.S. security will be uh, checking, uh, you know, uh, checking what you have, and mm-hmm. uh, you're going through the sort of check, check that you get when you're at an airport. There'll be machines, there'll be people uh, who who can check to see what you, you are carrying before you go any further. So, broadly speaking, it's clear that one of the conditions was that the Kenyan security forces would stand back 
and let the U.S. security team do what they are best qualified to do, which is to secure the president's safety. So that that's, uh, I mean, the American president's safety. So they don't go around announcing everything, mm -hmm. the, the U.S. security team. They keep things to themselves, uh, and perhaps rightly so. But of course, we all pray that the President Obama will be perfectly safe and have a really great visit here. So that's actually my, my next question. So here we are, like six and a half years into the Obama presidency, and this is his first visit to Kenya. Is what's the mood mood on the ground uh, among you know your your friends uh, among just in general the population of Kenya? Is it you know they're glad that he's finally coming, or is it you know what took him so long? Okay, uh, you have to segment that because not all Kenyans see it the same way. Of course, it's overwhelmingly positive. There's not a negative word to be said about Obama in this country, or if there's anyone, they're, they're keeping it to themselves. But uh, President Obama is someone most Kenyans are very proud of, to have someone whose father we know lived here, worked here, died here, is buried here, and now he's U.S. president. Of course, there are those who are asking, why did he take so long? Mostly people from the village of Kogelo, where his father came from, they are really disappointed because the U.S. ambassador made it clear that it just won't be possible for President Obama to go there. And they had prepared to welcome him. There's an Obama rugby match. There was going to be an Obama football match. There was going to be uh, the naming of a school after him. They had a long wish list, I believe. They wanted to tell him, would you do this and that for us? And this is in keeping with what happens when Kenyan presidents visit. Whenever a Kenyan president visits a corner of the country, the local leaders will often use the opportunity to say, Your Excellency, you know, we really need this and we really need that. And sometimes the president makes a statement saying, let it be done. And of course, nothing is done. But that's Kenyan politics. So they are mistakenly applying the same to a U.S. president, who I, I tend to suspect would not make random promises of the kind that Kenyan presidents will make uh, seven days a week. Uh, so so th th there are, there's that level of enthusiasm. But among the journalists, uh, including some of us who met him when he came here as senator, we know he's an extremely charming man, very pleasant man. And But we've also met other presidents, not just him. Uh, I, sorry, I haven't met Obama as president, but I have met other presidents. So I know it's all just ceremony. It's all just formality. It's all just photo ops. It would be no different if the Pope was coming to Kenya. It would be the same. You know, a famous man, a great man. We roll out the red carpet, welcome him as best as we can. But it's all ceremony. The real work, if there is any real work, will be done behind closed doors. So uh, we are not that excited. We just want to ensure that we stock up because you may not be able to get to town to buy your provisions. <laughs> And, and, and uh, Nairobi will be on lockdown. Uh, and uh, that's basically it. In fact, I should mention, you probably won't want to play this part, but I, I recorded something for the BBC this morning, and I just mentioned in that the same thing, that uh, about uh, two weeks ago it was uh, Jap Jap the Japanese embassy here was celebrating their National uh, Defense Force Day. It's a big celebration, second only to the emperor's birthday, I'm told. And... and uh, I was a guest there, and there were a, a number of ambassadors there, and I was trying to fix an appointment with one of them to have lunch. We'd long intended to 
meet and have lunch. He's someone I know, but we had not had the chance. Then when we settled on the 25th, suddenly two other ambassadors who are standing there with us burst out laughing and said, have you forgotten what's happening on the 25th? We are going, Nairobi will be on lockdown. We'll just sit at home, watch TV, watch everything live, and because uh, it's going to be impossible to move around until the American president leaves. So there are those of us who have a more uh, relaxed, cynical view of the world, and we are glad he's coming, very glad he's coming, but we are not shouting about it, we're not that excited. But um, what I may call the man in the street, this is the second coming, it's a huge event for them. I don't know how they're going to control the crowds. Um, so you mentioned earlier that, that the political import of this visit is somewhat muted. I mean, it's more akin to a, a Pope visit. I, I love that, that comparison than, than anything else. Um, what can you say about the relationship between Uhuru Kenyatta and President Obama? I mean, it's sort of no secret that when Kenyatta was running for re-election a couple of years ago, the U.S. embassy, the U.S. administration was perhaps not terribly enthusiastic about someone wanted by the International Criminal Court at that time becoming president of uh, a country that's considered an important ally. Uh, how has that relationship between uh, Kenyatta and the U.S. government perhaps evolved over the last few years? Well, the thing to bear in mind is that a country like Kenya may not be anyone's colony anymore, but we are a dependency. So much that happens here depends on what is being done or said in the great capital cities of the world. Uh, like we are primarily, like many developing countries, an exporter of agricultural produce, and we have a tourism industry. If we are perceived to be a dangerous place to visit, like Britain had issued a travel advisory against coming to Kenya some time ago, and suddenly hotels on which hundreds of thousands of jobs and millions of other forms of economic opportunity, all these vanish overnight because there's no one staying in our hotels. There's been a big effort to try and persuade more Chinese to visit. It has not succeeded. We do have some, but whether it's for cultural reasons or for other reasons, China is not just not a big source market for tourism. I've seen Streets full of Chinese in Paris, in London. I think the Chinese tourists will go to Europe, but very few will come to Kenya. So we still depend on Western Europe, and we still depend on North America for our tourists. So these are countries which mean a lot to us. Then, of course, where do we export coffee? Where do we export tea? Where do we export flowers? It's to Western Europe, mostly. Marginally to the U.S., but mostly to Western Europe. So we are a dependent country to that extent. We are a small, somewhat poor country, and we need to trade with the rich countries before we can get very far. So to that extent, America matters, and no Kenyan president can play around with a U.S. president. He may talk tough when he's talking to his own backyard. I'm not saying President Uhuru Kenyatta has done this. I'm not even saying President Kibaki before him did this or President Moy before him did that. I'm just saying it doesn't matter who's president. Uncle Sam is someone you treat with a lot of respect. So that's the big picture. But more specifically is a psychology of the two men. As I see it, Uhuru Kenyatta's father was president, the founding president, one of the great men of the Pan-African movement, a man who lived in exile in Europe for, was it 15 or 20 years, agitating for Kenyan independence. 
independence was delayed because the country would not accept independence without Kenyatta. That's how great a man Jomo Kenyatta was. He may not have been a Mandela, but he was, say, what Robert Mugabe was before uh, things got complicated in Zimbabwe. So uh, when you have a father like that, you are aspiring to be a great man too. And I have no doubt Uhuru Kenyatta aspires to be a great man. And one of the great uh, signs of greatness is that people like the U.S. Ambassador, uh, sorry, forgive me, people like the U.S. president come calling. They visit your country when they could have been visiting almost anywhere else in the world and been received well. So I think Uhuru, this may well end up being the highlight of his presidency, that during the time when he was president, we had a visit from the U.S. president. We had Kissinger in his father's time. We had Colin Powell, I believe, in Moy's time. Uh, uh, Hillary Clinton has been here. Uh, John Kerry has been here. But this is the first time we've got a president. So it's a big thing. Um, I also believe... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, please, please, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I also believe Obama's reason for coming are purely personal. I'm cynical about Kenya being a great geostrategic center. We may be a, the biggest tourism hub in the region, the biggest diplomatic hub. Many of my ambassador friends, like the people I was talking to at the Japanese ambassador's house, if, you, if they give you their card, it says ambassador for Kenya, Uganda, Seychelles, Comoros, God knows where, you know. So a lot of the ambassadors based in Nairobi cover five or six other countries. It's only the U.S., the U.K., and a few others who have ambassadors in each and every uh, East African capital. But many of the other countries have one person in Nairobi representing several states. Some even represent DRC Congo, which is really far away. So what I'm saying is we may matter in some ways, but not in others. We, we are not a heavy hitter, uh, as I would think Egypt is, uh, Nigeria is, and to some degree South Africa is. We may be the biggest in East Africa, but we are not that big. So Obama's coming here, if you ask me, is purely personal. Uh, we are glad he's coming. We are glad about the uh, big entrepreneurship conference that's coming here, the entrepreneurship summit, rather, as they call it. But... If you read the history, and it's, I don't need to read it. I've been hearing about Obama's father since I was a child. He was a very famous man, very clever man, outstanding, you know, uh, record-breaking genius. The sort of thing I've read about people like Mark George Bundy or Lawrence Summers, you know, people who from their earliest years simply excelled academically and went very far as a result. But he died a miserable, frustrated man. He died a failure. He, he was a very bitter man. He would insult people. He would beat his wife or his wives. He gave his kids a hard time, I'm told. Or the president is lucky he didn't grow up under that man's thumb. When you have a father who died in disgrace, despite his Harvard education and his legendary brilliance before he ever even got to Harvard, uh, people who went to school with him who are still alive talk about him like that even now. When that's your father, you want to go back to that country and as U.S. president, and I think it must be deeply satisfying mm -hmm. because for a long time that name Obama was associated with a, a drunken failure, which was the president's father. How, I, I guess just again, speaking about Obama's family, how much is his family that's back in Kenya in the spotlight right now? Are, is Kenyan media like hounding them, like hounding Mama Sarah and, and, and all of them? 
Oh, yeah. There, there, there's a government security around her home 24-7 because they won't allow just anyone there. Partly for our own security, partly because otherwise the place would be overflowing and it would be impossible to control. But the other thing to bear in mind is that he does have, I believe, two brothers and one sister. Uh, half-sisters, half-brother, but in our tradition there's no such thing as half. If you have the same father, that's your sister, that's your brother. And, and uh, there's no... People don't make that much fuss about them. You'll occasionally hear one of them has hosted an event or was a guest of honor at an event. But uh, long before their brother became the president, uh, there were people we would see around here. So, and many people know them. They did go to school locally. They went to university locally. Uh, those who married, married locally. So they aren't really... Somehow it's Mama Sarah that the spotlight has been on. And to a lesser degree, Dr. Aouma Obama, uh, who, the, the half-sister who's mentioned a lot in his book. But I, I don't notice the press going crazy. And that may not be an accident. Maybe when their brother was elected president, he said to them, look, do me a favor, keep a, a really low profile. People will try and get you to say something that can be used against me. So I, I personally think they're avoiding the, the, the media deliberately. I was surprised to hear that Dr. Uma Obama, whom I have seen on the streets of Nairobi just by herself, a friend of mine who w was an expatriate, was working as an engineer in Germany until recently when he came back, he mentioned that whenever she goes to Germany, because she did her PhD there, I think, and I'm told she speaks absolutely fluent German. Uh, whenever she goes there, she has a state security because she's the sister of the president of the United States. But here, unless there's some very concealed security, she walks the streets like anyone else. Um, so in a way, his family are not uh, celebrities in quite the way. The only Obama celebrity we have here is uh, his grandmother. Um, I wanted to to ask uh, finally about um, Al Shabab and and the um, and how much you think uh, that will uh, perhaps not dominate, but the the conversations between Obama and U.S. officials and and senior Kenyan officials will deal on counterterrorism issues. I mean, this visit comes uh, just a week or two weeks after the reopening of of the Westgate uh, Mall. Uh, which was attacked two years ago. So what, um, to what extent do you think the, the Al-Shabaab insurgency or, or, or terrorist uh, attacks might be included in grander conversations between the U.S. and, and Kenya? I, I actually think if there's one substantive thing to be discussed, that will be it in security and what are we doing about Al-Shabaab and will the Kenyan military remain in Somalia or will they be, the soldiers be brought back home? Uh, because that is the one piece of outstanding business. There are many Kenyans, myself not least among them, who have put it down plainly in writing and said, this was a mistake. Before we invaded, they would occasionally kidnap a tourist in the far north of Kenya. But that was no different from the piracy that used to go on. But when we invaded, and there's no point calling it anything else, there may have been people on the Somali side who are glad we went in, but it was, when one army crosses a national boundary into another, that's an invasion. Uh, we've said, look at the price we've paid. Who knew the price would be this great? 
why did we not reinforce our own homeland security before we cross that border? And who can feel safe on the streets now? It was a mistake, not that pulling our army back will make them spare us, because we hear they've got all these radicalized youth already organizing cells in all sorts of places. But the idea is let's not give them that excuse to attack us. Uh, I do not presume to figure out how terrorists think or why they do the things they do, but I personally see the invasion of Somalia as a mistake. But on the other hand, the American ambassador, if I remember correctly, and certainly the British High Commissioner, the British ambassador, they've both said no. Uh, pulling your soldiers back will not change anything. Uh, only when Al-Shabaab is routed will we be able to have peace in this region. But then, do you ever defeat such people? Look at Iraq. Look at Afghanistan. Uh, where is the point where you say, we have won this battle and now we can go back home. I don't think it's possible to win the fight in Somalia. But apparently, if I'm to believe what has been said, and I hope I'm not misquoting the U.S. ambassador because I seem to recall him saying it, but it may have been some other ambassador, saying, no, stay there and finish the job. So... Uh, well, I mean, it's true that the U.S. and, and other you know, powers certainly supported the Kenyan invasion of, of Somalia. Oh, they're paying for it, no yeah. doubt whatsoever. Yeah, they, they underwrote the entire exercise. But the question is, would they agree with the voices now raised, including influential opposition leaders like the former Prime Minister, Raila Odinga, who are all saying, no, this was a mistake. Let's admit we made a mistake. We'll never win. Let's pull back our soldiers and defend our own borders. Because right now, there hasn't been a bomb attack in Nairobi for many, many months. But in the marginal areas where some of our people live, where they can easily pick up uh, a group of people who are on a lonely road somewhere, or they can pick up a group of people working in a town somewhere, or the single most isolated university in Kenya, Garissa University, where they massacred all those poor kids, they, they are still attacking us on the margins. So they're saying, bring our soldiers back home. This is not worth it. Let's admit we made a mistake and draw the line. I, I believe that. And there are many Kenyans agitating the same way. So if the U.S. wants the Kenyan army to remain in Somalia, I imagine that will be a very important discussion between President Obama and President Uhuru Kenyatta. May I say just one last thing? Please. T two of the initiatives which have had a huge impact on Kenya, on East Africa, on all of Africa. First, under President Bill Clinton, AGOA, the African Growth and Opportunities Act, in many ways, Africa didn't fully capitalize on this opportunity. It should have created millions of jobs the way the textile industry, which was the primary beneficiary of uh, zero tariff exports to the U.S., places like India and, and uh, uh, Bangladesh, they have not hundreds of thousands, but millions of textile employees, possibly under deplorable conditions, but they do have jobs. And... Uh, Kenya, we've created, I'm told, roughly about 100, 150,000 textile jobs, maybe, maybe more if you count the indirect jobs. But that was a big thing. It was an opportunity for people who maybe couldn't go further in school, who can now wake up in the morning and go to a factory and do a decent day's work and know they'll be paid at the end of the week or at the end of the month. So AGOA created jobs and other opportunities too. And then, of course, under President George W. Bush, PEPFA, the Presidential Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, saved hundreds of thousands of lives in Kenya, millions of lives all across Africa. 
by making money available for antiretrovirals and for all sorts of support services at a time when no country in Africa could afford those things. The prices of antiretrovirals, I'm told, are now much lower. But still, certainly he's at a time when whole villages were dying, all the grown-ups were dying, leaving children and a few grandmothers. Uh, President Bush saved hundreds of thousands of lives. So, in a way, o Obama has a hard act to follow. Well, I wonder if, if the fact that he's, do, you know, arriving in Kenya ostensibly for the Global Entrepreneurship Summit suggests um, that the Obama administration has been focusing more on private sector uh, engagement than perhaps grand U.S. policy initiatives as a way to spur development, as, or as really as, as, as the U.S. development strategy in, in Africa. Well, I'd call it a valid strategy if, if I could see the results. The results of AGOA were clear. Within months of its being uh, passed by Congress, the results of PEPFA were even clearer and in a shorter time. People who had given up hope of living suddenly, you know, skinny. And I'm talking about things I saw with my own eyes. Someone who was totally skinny, all their hair gone, put on antiretrovirals, given those multivitamin drinks or, or special uh, food. And three months later, they are walking and the family and they're trying to look for employment again because now they're strong again. So I don't really believe this talk of entrepreneurship in Africa and We've got so many places which are supposed to be like the Kenyan answer to Silicon Valley. IHUB, Nairobi Hub, Nairobi Lab, uh, Machakos County's Silicon Savannah. Uh, there's a whole Silicon city. Silicon Savannah, that, I have not heard of that one. That's, that's a good one. I oh, must say. Google it. Google <laughs> it and see. It's a big news here that we are going to create a Silicon Savannah to rival the Silicon Valley. There's a lot of such talk. But uh, I know enough about innovation. Uh, from the time I studied at MIT on my fellowship, that a lot of it, you need a strong research university at the center. There'd be no Silicon Valley without Stanford. A lot of what's happening uh, in Boston is because MIT and Harvard are there. And when uh, the former mayor Bloomberg of New York City wanted to create his own innovation hub in New York, I believe he partnered with, I forget which university, there was an Israeli yeah. university. Yes, oh, well, yes, exactly. Yeah. So the, the template is clear, but here they go in the middle of uh, the savannah, come up with these futuristic uh, architectural designs and say, this is what we're going to build here. No question of capacity, no question of the fact about the fact that innovation involves lots of failures before you succeed. No question of uh, all sorts of things. You know, this is the thing about Africa. Every few years, some big idea comes up. You've probably forgotten this, but some time back, maybe five, ten years ago, the biggest thing was NEPAD, the New Partnership for African Development, uh, which was supposed to be a Marshall Plan for Africa, but with the conditions, if an African state passes the peer review mechanism, they'll get this, they'll get that. And none of them ever works uh, as advertised. I'm not saying people are not sincere, I'm not saying they do not try their best, but I am saying that I judge when I see results. I saw the results for Agoa. I've seen the, by our standards, very large textile stitch, well, actually just stitching factories. We don't actually produce the textiles, we import them from Asia. But 
you see at the end of the day, thousands of young people walking out after a day's work. People who otherwise would have been sitting in some slum, because that's all they could afford to stay in, and maybe turning to crime. Now they've got something to do. They're grateful for the opportunity. I've seen a, a PEPFA saves lives, uh, save lives. I'm telling you that whatever, if President Obama is coming to announce a new initiative or to give us some good news here, he has a very hard act to follow in what the two previous presidents did for Africa. And uh, just talking about entrepreneurship and bringing billionaires like Richard Branson to say Kenya is a great place to invest, uh, that won't be enough. There has to be more. I'm not saying Branson is lying. As I, I mentioned earlier, I meet ambassadors all the time, and they all tell me the same thing. We have had a 40% increase in the number of investors who've opened offices here. We used to have 70 uh, French businesses or Belgian businesses or German businesses, whatever country the ambassador is from. Now we have 140. Now we have 200. Now we have 300. Some big, some small. So there's no doubt about the interest in, in uh, opening up either new businesses or opening up a representational office in Nairobi for the region. All that is very true. But I am saying that uh, it's nice of the president to come. Many people had a despaired. We would not see Obama in all his glory as president of the U.S. visit here. He's now giving us that. It means a lot to a lot of Kenyans. But I understand uh, development economics too well to get excited about the Global Entrepreneurship Fund. Uh, sorry, Global Entrepreneurship Summit, GES. Uh, uh, well, Wycliffe, thank you so much for your time and for your perspective. This <laughs> okay. was great. I loved it. Glad you liked it. Okay. Wasn't that fun? Like I said, great person to speak with. And you can catch him on BBC too. He occasionally is a uh, commentator and a contributor to BBC Africa. Well, thank you guys all for listening. And thank you also for the reviews that are coming in on iTunes. It really uh, is a selfless act on your part. I know it takes a few minutes to write a review, but I really appreciate it uh, because it helps other people who, like you, appreciate wonky, fun, lively conversations about foreign policy discover the podcast. That, in turn, helps me attract potential advertisers and, and other people who are interested. The bigger the audience, the better. We're going to keep this thing free. So, uh, again, thanks so much for your support. All righty. See you soon. Bye.